All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Eric. I am the lead pastor at our Riverdale campus of Alpine Church. Over the last uh, seven weeks, eight weeks, we've been in this series called The Pursuit. And what this is is a 12-week track on our disciple-making website called PursueGod.org. And it's kind of the essentials of Christianity. And it's all about, really, how does a person pursue God? And so we've talked about kind of this threefold approach to what it looks like of pursuing God. Many of you have probably seen this little diagram before. Maybe this is new for some of you, but this is what we believe, you know, in a simplified way, what a, a pursuit of God actually looks like. It starts with trusting in Jesus. And over the past several weeks, we've talked about who Jesus is and what he came to do. We talked about our sin problem and why we needed to be saved in the first place. And, and so a relationship with God starts by trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, believing that God sent his one and only son, the most famous verse, John three sixteen, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We have to start there. We start by, by agreeing with God that he is true, that Christ is God who came in the flesh and died for us, we agree that we're sinners and that we need him to save us. That's, that's the only way a person can be made right with God and start a relationship with God. But now we're on this second leg of, okay, now that I'm a Christian, and that doesn't mean that all of us have done that yet, but, but just for the purposes of saying, you know, where do we go next after salvation? We, we, we want to start to learn to live a life now that honors God. What does God want me to do? How do I get to know what he wants me to do? How do I know his will? Because a lot of times people just stay at that trusting Jesus phase. And as we, we talked about in a, several weeks ago, we talked about this idea of being born again. When you trust in Jesus, you are made new, born again. Your spirit, you have a spirit now, the spirit of God. And now, just like in your physical form, when you were born, you started as a baby now, as being born again means that your spirit is now regenerated, and now you're made alive spiritually to God now, but, but we're just babies, kind of like in the physical form, but now spiritually, we are these spiritual babies, and so just like a physical baby needs to grow up, how are we going to grow up? I was thinking about this. We recently had a baby. He's right back here, by the way, uh, four months old. His name's Aaron, and it's such a miracle, the gift of, of, of life and, and how God basically designed humanity. He designed this body. It's, it's, it's the proof of, one of the proofs of the existence of God is intelligent design and he built it in all of us. He gave us these genetics and DNA to be able to, to grow. We have everything we need. He has everything he needs as a baby now Outside of the womb, he, he has everything he needs other than some outside influences like food and shelter and love and, you know, sustenance to be able to grow. But he has everything programmed inside of him to be able to grow up. And so that's the same thing for us in Christianity is that God has provided everything that we need. We have everything we need internally and he's provided the external needs that a Christian needs to be able to grow up as well. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. 
So today we're talking about how do we start to grow up? How do we start to grow this new Christian life? And the title of the message is that God has given us everything we need to be godly or everything that we need to experience God, everything that we need to know God and to grow closer to him, to become more like him. That is the goal that God has for us is the, another saying to become godly or to be godly is to be holy or even more simple is to look at the example of Christ's life and become like him. Now, this verse, this idea that we get is from 2 Peter 1.3. But before I get there, I just wanted to point out this little, this picture here. It's a three-legged stool. Now, I, I'm not an engineer, but I have heard that, uh, you know, three-legged structures are the most efficient way uh, to, to hold heavy objects or things like that. Now, we've come up with ways to have multiple different legs, but... In its simplistic form, a three-legged structure is actually better than a four-legged structure because a three-legged structure actually doesn't have to be on exactly level ground. A four-level structure or a four-legged structure has, and I think it gets its idea from just the, the geometric shape of a triangle. If you're an engineer, you know that the triangle is the strongest, most stable shape out there. Um, and, 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 you know, I think it's very interesting that God, you know, God works in threes often, you know, the Trinity is God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy, and Spirit. We're talking about a, a three-legged or a three-pronged approach to, to pursuing God, trusting Jesus, honor God, and then eventually making disciples. And so today I'm going to use another th- number three type of uh, analogy or illustration because we're going to talk about the three-legged approach to pursuing God, um, to know him, to have a a full Christian life. Um, And it looks like this. We need God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. I've often called this the, the Christian trifecta that God gave us to be able to have everything that we need to grow in him, to know him better, and to become more like Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So the question is, how does one grow closer to God? How do I know God? Well, he's provided all the ways for us to know him. He's done all the work, as I said before. Jesus died on the cross for us. We don't earn our way there, but he continues to even do all the work for us by providing his spirit, his word, and his church. That is how God is going to grow you and me. If you are a Christian here today, um, if you think about this stool, let's say we take one of those legs away and you're in your Christian pursuit, you're, you're trying to follow God, you want to figure out how to live a godly life and to be more Christ-like, but if you take one of those legs away, what's going to happen to the stool? It's not very balanced, right? You're going to fall over. Take two legs away from the stool, it's not going to be very good at all. But with a three-legged stool, a three-pronged approach that God has provided, we can have a stable, full Christian Life. Now, I want to walk through some of these with you today, and the first is God's Spirit. First Peter 1-2 says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and His Spirit 
has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to zero in on that. His spirit has made you holy. Um, That's another word for being made holy is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be to be made holy, to be made more righteous, to be set apart for special use. And that is the Spirit's job in a believer's life. When a person comes to believe and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that they receive the Spirit of God. Ephesians 1, 13-14. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. So, so this is a theological truth that at the moment a person believes, God's Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. You're not left alone to just try to fend for yourself and try to try to follow God, but no, God's Spirit works in us. Um, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you will be able to follow my decrees and obey my commands. There's, there's a yearning now in a new believer that, that a new nature added to all of us. Before we were just stuck in our sin and stuck in our flesh and our selfish way, but when you come to faith, now you have two natures and they start warring against each other even. But this nature comes into you. That's the godly nature. It's the Holy Spirit who, who reminds us all that, that God wants us to do and points us in the right direction. And it says that he is the guarantee. The third member of the Trinity comes to reside in believers, and he is the guarantee that we have eternal life. Have you ever seen this, some kind of a, an image, you know, satisfaction, 100% guaranteed on, on something you buy? You know, if you buy something, you, you feel very confident if that sticker is on there that what I have is going to make me satisfied. What I have is going to do what it's supposed to do. It's going to last a long time, right? And I'll be able to cash that in and say, hey, to the manufacturer, hey, you lied to me. There's a 100% guarantee on there, but... but this thing broke, you need to exchange it for another one, right? We, we, this gives us confidence in, in buying something, right? It's the same thing as we go back to that verse. It says that it's, an, it's a guarantee for the inheritance, but we didn't buy it. God bought it for us. But he's giving a guarantee on a gift that he gave us. Isn't that amazing? It's a 100% free gift by God when he died on the cross for us. And then he stamps it with his approval and says, I'm giving you this free gift and you can take that to the bank. I am the manufacturer. I am the maker. And I guarantee you that my spirit is going to take you to the end. I guarantee you that my spirit is going to work in you to cause you to know me, to cause you to follow me. That is an amazing confidence that many Christians actually lack and don't understand this truth. They're always worried, you know, like, oh, am I doing enough for God? Am I, am I Christian enough? Am I bearing enough fruit? Am I doing enough things? I don't know. I sinned yesterday. I could be going to hell. But no, the reality is, is God gave us his spirit to mark us out for the inheritance that we have that's going to carry us to the end. The eternal life that we've talked about isn't very eternal if it can be cashed in or traded in or or lost or broken or ruined. 
And that's the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. But there's more to the Holy Spirit other than just the guarantee. There's also the, the power that he gives us. In Galatians 5, it says, but if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As I said, there's this war in us now. We've got our flesh and the Spirit, and now we've got this fork in the road choice. Every day we're like, am I going to follow the Spirit, or am I going to follow my selfish desire? Before, we could never battle our selfish desire, our addictions, right? I'm a, I'm a recovering addict, as Mike was talking about that, that recovery group that's starting, like, that's that's something that I, I, I highly value and highly recommend uh, being a part of fellowship in that. But what I experienced in my life was that I could never have power over my flesh until I understood the power of the Spirit in me. And now I have this power to, to have victory in my life and victory over my sin and victory over my failures. It doesn't mean I live perfect because I'm going to live this war till the day I die. But we can walk by the Spirit, and in verse 22, 23, and here's what we get from this as we walk by the Spirit and continue to build that relationship with the Spirit in us. Is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Man, don't we all just desire to be more like this? I look at that list and I see, man, I fall short, but I know the power of the Holy Spirit works in me to be able to live those things out, to be able to love my wife, to be able to love the people around me, to be able to have self-control now, to be able to be kind and to be patient and to seek for peace, the things that I could never find on my own before. He gives us the power to fight our old nature and he gives us new attributes the attributes of Christ. Because again, God wants us to grow up to be more like Christ. And another job of the Holy Spirit in our lives is that Jesus says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. There's a still small voice in, in the heart, in the mind of every believer that is being reminded of God's ways and God's truth. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. Again, I would fail if I didn't have the Holy Spirit reminding me, no, you don't want to say that. No, you don't want to do that. No, you should, go, you should go say sorry. You should repent. You should be humble. You know, remember where I said this? Remember where Jesus said that? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And did you know that the Holy Spirit, as we move on to that second leg, the Holy Spirit also wrote scripture and so the Holy Spirit not only reminds us internally, but he helped remind us externally through the word of God, which is the second leg of how we learn to live a godly life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do Every good work. This is the verse that we use often for the divine inspiration of Scripture. It's saying that, that God's word, the Bible, is, 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 was provided for us externally by the, the Holy Spirit, written through people, but preserved throughout time for us to know the mind of God, the heart of God, the morality of God, the will of God. 
This is how we know God. It's through the Bible. We're going to find out the truth. We wouldn't know how to put our faith in Jesus without the Gospels, without the Bible. These are eyewitness accounts written down for us. There's theology and doctrine written down for us so that we could come to know the truth about God. God says that, that, that he uses Scripture to bring about faith through the preaching there's, there's no other way a person can come to know God than through the truth of Scripture. Can God reveal himself to people? Yes, he can say, come and reveal himself to the people. The Holy Spirit can come on a person, but what's he always going to do? He's going to lead them to somewhere where the Scripture is being opened and taught, or he's going to read re- them somewhere where there's a Bible where they can get to know God, because this is called divine inspiration. This is called divine revelation. No one can come to know God truly and fully without divine revelation, and that's through the Scripture. And then, through the Scripture, our minds can be transformed. Romans 12, 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We learn the will of God in the Word of God. We learn the heart and mind of God in the words that he wrote down from his heart and his mind. And we have to train our minds to change our hearts. Our hearts have to be changed from the inside out. And God is doing this work as we read in that scripture before. It helps us know what we're doing wrong and teaches us to do what we're, it corrects us, it trains us. The Bible says it about itself. It is a, it's a double-edged sword. It is a sword that, that, is, that pierces between uh, soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it, it divides the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so we need to have our minds transformed and renewed through scripture. Now, I just got to stop here and say this. I, you know, I've met a lot of Christians in my life that are struggling. And I too was one of them for a long time in my life. And it's like, hey, I did what you said, preacher. I put my faith in Jesus. Now, shouldn't my life be like better? Shouldn't things be happening? Shouldn't I be blessed? You know, shouldn't I have money in the bank? And shouldn't I ha- not have any of these problems anymore? And, and, no, that was never a promise that, that all of that stuff would be yours. But maybe you said to yourself, man, why am I still struggling with sin? I have no control. I, I don't know God. I don't really feel him that much. I mean, I don't really feel like doing the things of God. I don't really understand him. I doubt him. Why is that? If he's real and I put my faith in him, shouldn't he be doing something? Well, Part of it is this, like we have this obligation through this amazing book that he provided for us that was, if you go back several lessons, we talked about the amazing um, beauty and the miracle of scripture, how it was written over a time span of 1,500 years in three different languages on three different continents, 66 books, 40 different authors. It tells this whole amazing story of God's, God's plan of redemption, And we would be crazy not to open the book then, right? But why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for so many people to just finally just break that cover and open it? We're like, it's sitting on the coffee table and we're like, uh, I'd rather pull weeds, you know? (laughs) I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) You should see the weeds at my house. I read the Bible a lot. (laughs) All right? (laughs) 
It's sitting on our coffee table, and, and, and we're just making up all these excuses of, of not reading it, but still wondering, why am I not growing? Why am I not getting any victory as a Christian? Well, because you might be missing out on this leg of, of, of what God has provided for you to, to grow in. It has so much, so much to it. I, I think of Psalm uh, 19, how beautiful this is. Uh, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. I mean, it's not just for the renewal of our minds, but it's also food for the soul. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I don't really feel like reading today. And, and next week, we're going to talk about habits and disciplines. But just, I just wanted to say that if you are not getting your daily bread, your daily sustenance, Jesus said man doesn't live by every word or bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're not getting your daily bread and all you ever do is hear scripture here today, and, and I've been accused of using too many verses in, in my sermons and I got to tell you the reason why, because I'm not confident that all of us are reading our Bibles throughout the week, so I got to fill you as much as I possibly can. But if all you're ever doing is eating once a week, you'd be pretty sickly looking, right? What does your spirit look like? I guess I'll ask you that question if it's only being fed once a week. We don't want to miss out on this, this leg that God has provided for us to know him more fully. And here's the last one then. It's not just God's spirit and just God's word, but also we need God's people. God didn't create lone rangers to go out there alone and, and live this whole life alone. He created this organization, the church. Now, some people have abused the idea in the organizations of churches and have elevated themselves above God's word and above God's spirit and said, well, I, I have authority when, Bible, when the Bible doesn't line up with what I'm saying, you need to trust me because I have more authority. No, this is all kind of an equal approach, but, but, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater with all the bad churches that, that are out there. God had still desired for his people to come together and to worship him and serve him and to love each other and to correct each other and to mentor and to disciple one another. And, to, and look, Galatians 6.1, this is one of the purposes of God's church. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. God wants his people to not be lonely. If you remember from the, the first two people that were ever created on earth, when, when there was only one, God said it's not good for him to be alone. God doesn't want his people to be alone. He wants them to come together to be a part of a spiritual family. Even if you don't have a physical family, if your physical family is too dysfunctional or if they you know, are di divided or divisive, God has provided something even greater than your physical family, which is your spiritual family. Now your physical family hopefully 
is a part of the spiritual family. And if not, we do the best we can to try to bring them along and teach them all this stuff. But at the end of the day, when they grow up to be adults, we can't control that. But we do have this spiritual family that God wants us to be a part of, and he wants us to be able to correct one another sometimes. If I didn't have people, you know, early on in my Christianity calling out some sin in my life, and now I know how that feels too, though. Like, you feel judged, right? Have you ever felt judged? Just raise your hand, please. Have you ever felt judged by, you know, some super Christian or some, you know, other religious person? They, they, maybe they had the right intentions, but they were just calling out some sin. They did it in some harsh way. And this says gently and humbly, by the way, but they were calling something out and you just, you weren't humble enough or in a place where you could be like, yes, I totally received that. Because naturally the human heart is like, no, I'm not a sinner. I didn't do that. You know, I'm better than that. Like, who are you to tell me? There's a right way to do it, but in the end, the same is true. Sometimes we won't listen to the Spirit, and we won't listen to Scripture, and we need a tangible person to say, hey, what are you doing, man? Why are you living this way? You know that goes against what you believe. You know that's going to lead you to, to destruction. How can I help you get on the right path? If I didn't have people like that in my life, I would probably be dead. I don't think I would be here today. I would definitely wouldn't be up here preaching a message to you today about this because I need other believers. And I need it so much so that I became a pastor. Don't think that I'm the holiest person that you know and that somehow because I'm so holy, I rose to the top. My need for other people, for God's people, is so great, probably even greater than yours, that I need all of you guys to to hold me accountable. Everybody can see my life now and, and point things out, and I'm, I welcome that. I need that because left by myself, I don't trust myself. I've got to be with God's people because in our humanity, we still struggle. We still need relationships of people that can call us out, but that's not the only thing the church is for. The church is such a beautiful thing. As we talked about the spirit earlier, when a person comes to believe the spirit, spirit comes in them and the spirit in them gives them a specific gift. Verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. You've heard of the gifts of the spirit. There's all kinds of gifts, you know, the, the gift of helping, the gift of giving, the gift of teaching, you know, all these different kinds of gifts, the gifts of administration and and, and all these people, like, don't have the same gift, but when they come together, it's a beautiful thing, and it's the organization that God had created to come together. And here's the thing. None of those gifts that God give, gives are for your own personal use. It says they were given for the common good, the common good of the church. And so if we have a gift, but we're not coming together to actually use it, we're not using it in the right way. We're being selfish. We're not living in the will of God if we have the spirit of God and the gifts of God, but we're not using it to come about to be a part of the body in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. I would have loved to have the whole chapter here and I could explain it to you, but we don't have enough time. But the, the chapter, he goes on to talk about um, how the the our body, our physical body is a representation of the spiritual body of the church. We're called the body of Christ, the church is. Just like the body has different 
functions, hands and eyes and ears and, and feet and legs, and, and they're not all the same thing, but working together can do some really great things together. And, and he uses this analogy of the body as this is how the Christian church ought to be. Everybody has a different function. You know, if, if the whole body was an ear, how could you do anything? You couldn't. You couldn't walk. You'd just be this weird ear laying on the ground because it can't move, right? So everybody's got these different functions that comes together to do something, to, to, to build up the church, to ultimately bring the message of God to the world. We need each other in order to fulfill and find our purpose in this new life that God has given us. And even beyond that, in Ephesians 4, here's what it says about some of the leadership of the church. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Isn't that interesting? So the pastor's job isn't to be some, some celebrity, you know, or, or some person that, that everybody, you know, adores and follows, but his job is to equip all of the people in the church to bring about this unity in the body and what does it say? It's for maturity. It says this will continue until you're all mature. Now, I'm looking out around in the room, and I'm saying, are we there yet? No. <laughs> we'll never be there, right? We're all at different maturity levels spiritually, but we'll never be there until Christ comes and gets us. So how long are we supposed to go to church? Until Christ comes to get us, right? We're, there's never going to be a time that we're not going to need a body of believers, a local church to be a part of, so that we can be maturing in the Lord. And it goes on, then we will no longer be immature like babies, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is basically saying that every one of you, if you're a Christian here today, you make up a part of the body. And so again, I'm going to give a weird illustration. Imagine if you were a finger, but it was severed from the body. What use is that finger anymore? No, it's going to shrivel up and die because it's not a part of the body. So as Christians, we're wondering, why am I not growing? Why isn't things happening in my life? Why don't I know God better? How come I can't battle sin Again, it goes back to this three-pronged approach of God's spirit, God's word, God's people. We've got to give equal focus to each one of those. Last verse, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day is when Christ returns. Continue to meet more and more. Encourage one another with the things that the Spirit is telling you, with the, what you're learning from the Word of God, what you're, how you're growing in your service. And I, I just got to say, like, I know that each one of you and a lot of you in this church have been really working hard. You've been serving for a long time. There's been people praying for a long time for the blessing of this church. I remember Alan back in the day leading our, our prayer team back at the Fine Arts Center, and we, we had no future of knowing where we were going to go next or what we were going to do and not sure if God was going to provide or not. And they were diligent in prayer, prayer, praying for the church. And there were people serving we have so many memories in this building of our first vacation Bible schools that we were able to do and kids coming to faith and baptisms in, in, in the horse trough that we had to pull up out here. There's so many wonderful things that when the church has come together and done, and done its job, God is being honored. People are growing People are coming to salvation through the Lord Jesus, and it's all because when the, the church comes together, it's not one person, but it's everybody doing their part. And it's such a beautiful thing when it happens. So my encouragement for you, encouragement for you here today is if you're lacking in any of these areas, understanding the Spirit's work in your life, or struggling to understand the Word, or to read the Word, or to, to even be a part of the body of the church, I want to encourage you, don't give up, don't lose heart. I hope this helps you understand for the rest of your Christian life that there are, there's this three-legged, three-pronged approach to your pursuit of God, to know him and to love him more fully. And as you do that, I promise you, it won't always be easy, but it'll be worth it. God will be working in your life. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your love, for your gifts, for your spirit in us, not leaving us alone, giving us your word to be able to know your heart and your will. And thank you for this church. Thank you for this body of believers. Whether they're brand new here today or they've been, been here for the last 10, almost 10 years of Alpine Church, Brigham City, thank you for the faithfulness, for the giftings. I pray for the this body to grow up and everybody to grow up in maturity that we would love one another, share each other's burdens. And God, I pray as we move into that new building that it wouldn't be, that that wouldn't steal the focus, but that we would remember that the church is people. It's not a building. The church is a group of people. Your spirit is in us. We could go anywhere and worship you and praise you, but thank you. Thank you for providing a place to where there can be less distractions so that we can come to know you and love you and love each other more fully. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.